Welcome to Crescent City Crime, dear listeners. I'm Tracy. And I'm Brian. And of course, thank you to everybody who has been listening to us. And and Brian, very exciting. We are at 49 followers on our Instagram. One more follower, we will have 50. Hooray! Yes. And whoever the 50th follower is, I will put your, your, well, at least your Instagram name on this podcast as a thank you, whoever you might be. Now, our social media is TikTok is at TBSmith68. Instagram is CCC Nola Podcast. We are also on YouTube, and I will link the YouTube channel in the show notes. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies, especially tell your enemies. And make sure that you give us a rating and a review. And if you're not following us, click that follow button on your preferred podcasting platform because we are everywhere. Yes, and following us, subscribing to us, listening to us, it's all absolutely free. It costs zero dollars. Just costs a little bit of your time. And we appreciate you choosing to spend some time with us every week. We certainly do. We enjoy talking to you. Yeah, we really do. This is one of my favorite parts of the week. Me too. All right. So last week we left the Oswald family as they came back to America from Russia, where Lee Harvey Oswald had decided that he was bored with life in the Soviet Union. And he expected publicity upon his return to America, but that did not exactly happen. Well, I mean, uh, he wasn't considered newsworthy, possibly because he was an embarrassment in the first place, (laughs) a disgrace to the Marine Corps. He's what the Marine Corps would unofficially call a shitbird. All right. Well, the shitbird, uh, shitbird and his family settled in the Dallas-Fort Worth area to be near Lee Harvey Oswald's family. Lee started writing a manuscript on Soviet life, but nothing ever came of that. And the Oswalds also became acquainted with anti-communist Russian and East European immigrants in the area. So these were people who did not share Lee Harvey Oswald's views on communism. These were people (laughs) who left communism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those who had fled from Stalin's gulags and, uh, well, maybe they didn't escape the gulags, but they were, but these people were living in Russia at a time that that was happening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just for context. And Stalin was a horrible man, a horrible man. In fact, it's estimated that about 60 million people were killed under his tenure. Yeah, keep in mind that that goat, that's his tenure started before World War II. Yeah, so he was in there for a long time. And, well, these are, but these are the, these are the people that Lee Harvey Oswald and his family were around, which probably only served to make Lee feel more isolated. He had nobody to share political commentary and conversation with. Boo hoo. <laughs> Now, those people also became friends with 
Lee Harvey Oswald's wife, Marina. And they liked Marina a lot more than they liked Lee. Marina was sweet. She was personable. She, she At first, she did not speak a lot of English, but she did learn. And she was tutored by some of her friends. So this is how she learned English. And she Now, she was also... Now, they, their friends thought that Lee was rude and arrogant, and they also knew that he physically abused Marina. So, again, just not a nice person. Yeah, he, he's a typical abusive, self-centered, psychotic narcissist. Yes. And Marina's, most of Marina's friends withdrew from her life when she continued to stay with Lee. And this is also, I just want to point out, this is a classic abuser tactic where you isolate your victim to such a degree where they can't really depend on anybody else. Yes, and and also, uh, you know, like say she decides she wants to do something on her own, go off somewhere, the abuser is going to... Hey, well, what do you mean you went to the store? What do you mean you went to the mall? What do you mean you went to go see a movie? And probably, you know, beat her for it. Probably. We'll be back in just a moment. And we are back. And just before his 20th birthday, Oswald traveled to the Soviet Union in 1959. He had saved some money. And he had continued to teach himself Russian. He spent some time in Fort Worth when he went to New Orleans. And from there, he went to France and then the United Kingdom. He told the UK officials that he had $700 and planned to stay for one week before proceeding to a school in Switzerland. But on the same day, he flew to Helsinki where he checked in at a hotel. And he was issued a Soviet visa on October the 14th. Oswald then left Helsinki by train the following day. He crossed the Soviet border and arrived in Moscow on October the 16th. His visa was valid for only a week and expired on October the 21st. Almost immediately after arriving, Oswald informed his tourist guide of his desire to become a Soviet citizen. He expressed this desire to every Russian official that he thought would help him. And, Brian, how do you think the Soviet citizens reacted to this? Probably thinking he's a spy. Well, possibly, yes, but they, he, several officials asked him, they couldn't understand why he would want to become a Soviet citizen. They found it incomprehensible that an American would want to become a Soviet Union citizen. Yeah, many, many Russians during the Cold War knew pretty well, had had some idea of what life was like in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, a life that was free of many of the restrictions there under, opportunities available, that someone could simply uh, educate themselves and endeavor for by their choice, not the government's choice. Right. You know, uh, you, you you know you choose to apply to a school, endeavor to make it into the school, 
instead of the government saying approving of it and saying yes you can do this right so they're all all well aware of that and it, you know they all knew that well it's not like we could just de defect and go to the united states whereas uh if you could defect then of course the united states took you in you know for propaganda purposes at the very least but defecting was very risky you had you had to risk your life and even risk the lives and well-being of your family in russia if you were trying to defect or any part of the soviet union pretty much so they're, they're probably scratching their heads wondering uh, many of us would like to leave if we could why well, i know but what what why does this guy want in well i know that that this is a bit um I mean, it's a slightly, slightly off topic, okay? But um, yeah, when you talk about defecting, you know, one of the one of the things that really caught the attention of the public was when the Soviet Union ballet companies, some of their some of their best dancers, defected. Yes. Okay, um, Mikhail Baryshnikov, for example. Uh, yeah. Uh, Rudolf Nureyev, you know, just the, the, these beautiful russian superstar dancers yeah they had they had kgb handlers yes okay and so for them even when in another country they had to use their brilliant minds to come up with plans yes to get away from their holders mm -hmm. and find someone who could protect them yeah. and help them to defect yeah, it was it was it was not easy to defect, and apparently it wasn't that easy to become a citizen either. No, but one one in in those cases, once they found the right point of contact from mm -hmm. the United States, uh, pretty much you know, the re the rest the rest is history. There there was no way that the United States government was going to not let any of these famous artists not defect. Exactly. On October the 21st, the day that Lee Harvey Oswald's visa was due to expire, he was told that his citizenship application had been refused and then he had to leave the Soviet Union that evening. He was, he did not take this well. He inflicted a, a minor but bloody wound to his left wrist in his hotel bathtub. Uh, this, this was before his tourist guide was due to arrive to collect him to escort him from the country. Mm -hmm. And he and he wrote in his diary that he did this because he wanted to kill himself in a way that would shock the tourist guide. Wow. That, talk about a temporary crisis there. Yeah. And, and, and that's not anything, that's not anything great to aspire to doing. You're just trying to shock one person who actually doesn't have a whole lot of power Definitely doesn't have any notoriety, really, except that that that's uh, dealt with Lee Harvey Oswald. Right. Although at the time he wasn't famous by any stretch. No, not yet, but he was getting there. So his departure was delayed because of the self-inflicted injury. And the Soviets kept him in a Moscow hospital under psychiatric observation for a week until October the 28th, 1959. During that time, he met with four more Soviet officials who asked if he wanted to return to the United States. 
He replied by insisting that he wanted to live in the Soviet Union as a Soviet national. He provided his Marine Corps discharge papers as an identification. Oh, that also kind of screams, uh, screams spy. Uh, but you can't help but, but reason that, okay, either he wants to be a spy or he is a, or he's a crackpot. Okay. Okay. Uh, but it seems to me like the Soviet Union at the time, given that it's someone who is a, uh, a veteran of military service, you know, probably would, probably would strongly consider uh, what they would call a defection. Right. Yeah, they would call it a defection. We would call it an immigration. Yes, we you would. Know. On October the 31st of that same year, Lee Harvey Oswald appeared at the United States Embassy in Moscow and declared a desire to renounce his U.S. citizenship. He told the U.S. Embassy interviewing officer Richard Edward Schneider that he was through and that he had made up his mind. He also stated that he had been a radar operator in the Marine Corps, and he told Schneider that he had implied to, un, to the unnamed, unnamed Soviet officials that as a Soviet citizen, he would reveal classified secrets to them. Ah, oh, okay, yeah, that, that's, uh, it's considered treasonous to renounce your U.S. citizenship. Okay, and that is one of the questions. I believe it's still a question today when you enlist in any any branch of the United States military is, you know, have you renounced your citizenship? Uh, so that's that's even that's even further. So he he threatens to release classified information. He, he did threaten to release classified information. So. He also that so those statements led to Lee Harvey Oswald's hardship honorable military reserve discharge being changed to undesirable. Okay. <laughs> so is that the same that thing? That sounds like a strategy. Is that the same thing as dishonorable discharge? Other than honorable conditions, I believe. Is what that what that falls under other than honorable conditions. Okay. Um, Which I believe is just short of a dishonorable discharge. I okay. So the story of the defection of a former United States Marine to the Soviet Union was reported by both the Associated Press and the United Press International. And guess what? The Soviet Union allowed him to stay without him becoming a full citizen. In 1960, Oswald wanted to attend Moscow State University, but was sent to Belarus to work as a lathe operator at an electronics factory which produced radios, television, and military and space electronics. He received a government-subsidized, fully-furnished studio apartment in a prestigious building and an additional supplement to his factory pay, which allowed him to have a comfortable standard of living by working class Soviet standards, and it was kept under constant surveillance. What do you make of all this? Well, the surveillance Spies. was that they, they, they were suspecting he was a spy, but they were going to go ahead and use him for propaganda purposes and attempt to make him happy by 
putting him in a job that's associated with his pre his MOS of the Marine Corps. Right. Okay. Dealing with electronics. Uh, and they had, you know, some minor plans to uh, use him as propaganda. Like, oh, we'll see, he's much happier here than in the United States. Right. Okay. Exactly. They were they were trying to do both of those things. Uh, see if he was, see if he was in fact a spy and use him for propaganda purposes. Sure. So Oswald was in a relationship with a Belarusian woman named Ella German. She did not love him, and he was also seeing other women. In spite of this, he proposed to her, but she rejected him, and they broke up in 1961. This was probably the only other great love interest that he had other than the woman that he would wind up marrying. And we already seen, well, once again, we're seeing how questionable Oswald's moral compass yes. has, has, all, has already been. You're... Well, you're you're dating this one girl, you propose to her, but meanwhile you've been screwing around. Yes, been screwing around. Yeah. Now, living in the Soviet Union was not the utopia that Oswald had imagined it would be. He wrote in his diary that he was questioning the greatness of of the Soviet Union. In other words, he was wondering what made it so great. Well, and this what the word narcissist comes to mind mm. there is in reality, he wasn't being treated as special as right. he wanted to be treated. Although in the eyes of the Soviets, they were treating him special because he was getting more privileges than the ordinary and, citizen. Yes, 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 he was. And, you know, giving yeah. him a place to live. And everything and you know. gave, gave him supplemental income on top of it yes treated and he got and he didn't have to pay rent and he got a decent job yeah and he got a decent for job. a working class person living rent free that wasn't special enough for him he, he wanted he obviously wanted to be of much greater stature not only in life but over there and he probably would still be over there it's funny if the Russians would have eleva would elevated him and given him power, so he could feel like he's doing something great. Okay? Right. So that's what's missing from that was most, what was missing from the equation in his Soviet life. He he was empowered a little bit, okay, mm -hmm. but that wasn't enough to make him happy. He wanted to do great things. He wanted power. Right. Okay. He probably really wanted to be in the KGB. But the KGB probably wouldn't have had him. Or maybe they would have. Maybe. Well, well, well apparently the, the Soviets did not see in him what they, what he wanted them to see in him. I mean, and, and let, let's get realistic, okay? You can't become, you can't instantly gain favor at that time, yes, you could not instantly gain favor with the Soviet Communist Party as an outsider. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There, true. there was, there's, there's always been nepotism involved. Okay. And he, he, he wasn't even born on that side of the world. No, he wasn't. Let alone having being, you know, Eastern Slav or Russian. Okay. So that's another thing. He wasn't Russian. That's very you true. You see? So it was not going to happen. Now, 
now on top of all of this, okay, of his narcissism, and this is something that I agree with him on. It, it was actually boring living over there because there was no nightlife. You know, there weren't really movie theaters, nightclubs, uh, social outlets to spend his time and money at outside of work. Yeah, yeah, he was in Belarus. He was in Belarus. So, a little far away from St. Petersburg or Moscow, where you did have these restaurants and movie theaters, you know, and nice cultural, and, you, right. you, you nice cultural centers. Okay, like if you want live performances, ballets, yeah, ballet, not yeah, yeah, symphony, yes, art museums, yeah. In 1961, he wrote to the Embassy of the United States. Moscow re requested the return of his American passport and proposed to return to the United States if any changes against him would be dropped. I'm sorry, charges against him would be dropped. So he was trying to get back to America. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we should have let them. We should have let uh, Russia keep Oswald. Or should I say, let, let the Soviet Union keep Oswald? Uh, well, we should not not we should not have let him back. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, he can't get through a career in the Marine Corps without getting out of trouble. He's not honorably discharged. Uh, I mean, the shenanigans he got into in the Marine Corps would have would have put you in Leavenworth these days. Mm, okay. okay, just just you know, by by comparison, renounces his citizenship, talks about how great the communist Soviets are. You know, moves over there. Well, we should have let him stay over there. Right. Yeah. So, throughout all this, he met his wife, and it was 19-year-old Marina Prusakova in early 1961. Probably one of the women that he was messing around with when he was dating Ella German. Okay. Very, li very likely, yeah. Take 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 what he should, take what you can get at that point because the woman he was really interested in saw him for who he was. Yeah, well, he did wind up having a baby with Marina, and this was uh, baby June, and she was born in February of 1962, and they married a few weeks later. On May the 24th, 1962, Oswald and Marina applied at the United States Embassy in Moscow for documents that enabled her to immigrate to the United States. And on June the 1st, the United States Embassy gave Lee Harvey Oswald a repatriation loan of $435.71. Huh. Yeah, so all that, okay, living rent-free, having a supplemental income, lives in the Soviet Union for a while. Then he goes back to America with his family, and he gets money from the government to come back. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Didn't get what he wanted over there. So he's going to come back to the United States and try to get get what he wants over here. Now, he had expected when he returned to America with his wife and child, he expected a lot of attention from the press. And guess what? He didn't really receive that attention. And he expressed a disappointment that his story was not bigger. It's, it's a little surprising, given that he's someone who was 
briefly used as a propaganda tool by the Soviets. And he wants to come back here because it isn't what he thought it would be. He doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. At least that's what he tell people, you know. <laughs> um, and he doesn't get the he doesn't really get the attention for doing that. That's exactly it. And this is where we're going to leave the Harvey Oswald for the moment. And in the next episode, we're going to get into the final years of the life of Lee, Har Lee Harvey Oswald. And in the episode after that, we are going to discuss the crime that he may or may not have committed. That would that either way, it cemented him as one of the most notorious names in American history. Yes, yes, and uh, one reason why he's so notorious is because, uh, truth be told, he was always a dangerous and misguided individual. Yes, uh, I mean, you put them. Lots of people are dangerous. Okay. Sure. But they're not misguided. Okay. But you put misguided and dangerous together, it's a terrible recipe. It is. It, it's a bad batch. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a bad batch. You know, whether you consider him, uh, whether you think he really committed the assassination or not, uh, to put it bluntly, this guy was, this guy's been, was up to no good. For a very long time. He was up to no good for a very long time. And, you know, his life, like I said, his life is so well documented. I mean, th there are just so, so many, um, th there's so many good sources that you can pull from to read about, you know, his early life, his schooling, his Marine Corps history, everything. And, of course, it's only looking at it in retrospect that it all kind of comes together. You don't really see it when you were like, if you knew him, right. Or you were part of his life somehow, you didn't really see what could have been coming. Yeah. You may, you may not have seen what the fair minded and objective people like us see is that at the end, he wasn't really interested in serving others, benefiting others, helping others. Mm -hmm. It was it was all about him. It was all about him. And in a bad way. Right. You know, like, as much as I have in common with him... Uh, there's a lot you don't have in common. There's a lot I don't have in common with him, and, and at my core, I'm the polar opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, as an addition to serving the Marine Corps and volunteering in Civil Air Patrol, I volunteered at church fairs, well, volunteered to work at at conventions, uh, volunteered. I was even a hospital volunteer at one point during high school, for example. Well, yeah. And, and I, I mean, I did volunteer so, work, too. I, you know, I volunteered at animal shelters. I've done um, in-home health care. I mean, I, that, that was a job. I got paid for that. But I think, it, you know, if, if you're willing to do things for others that need it, I think that, that speaks to the quality of a person that you are. Right. And especially if, I mean, I mean, yeah, we, we all want to, we all talk about our proverbial resumes mm -hmm. and what we've done. But, you know, if your resume is about 
essentially about doing things for other people, helping other people, gaining, gaining your satisfaction from doing that, then it's much better than uh, doing things that are all about you and, and on a road that is morally, that is morally questionable. Well, yes, at, but at, at worst, you know. we all do morally questionable things. We've all done morally questionable things at some point in our life, right? But it's always interesting to see who takes that wrong turn and who does not take that wrong turn. And because, I mean, you know, morally being morally ambiguous, that's a lot of things every day. A lot of different choices that we can make as people, right? You know, like, for example, um, I don't think that cannabis should be illegal at all, right? But if you live in a, in a place where it is not legal and you use it, okay, that could be considered morally ambiguous. But if it helps you, you're going to seek it out no matter what, even though it's technically against the law. Yeah, but even 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 if someone uses uses cannabis under those circumstances, they're still not committing harm against another person. That's true. Or their country. That's also or, true. Or any any institution. Yeah, maybe 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 Lee Harvey Oswald should have smoked weed. Maybe able to calm down a bit. Yeah, I, I don't know if he ever did, but it, it probably it, it could have really it could have helped him out. But in any case. Yeah. That's not whatever happened or didn't happen. That's not what happened. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes. Of course, the main main question is, well, uh, you know, did did he really commit this assassination? But uh, you know, any any discussion on whether or not he actually did it should involve pretty much the fact that he was no angel. Hmm. That's yeah. He was no angel, and, and right? He, and he was he was not a good person. He was not an honorable man. Oh yeah, he he had no honor and no glory to his house. And also, this this is of course of relevance to myself and you know my time serving this country. Lee Harvey Oswald was a disgrace to the Marine Corps mm-hmm. yeah. for for a variety of things. A variety of things. Yeah, I, I mean, he shot himself in the elbow. I mean, what what is that? He he couldn't get through his Marine Corps career without getting into legal trouble, mm-hmm. causing serious mischief, serious serious criminal mischief, and then on top of that, he betrays our country. Yeah. After the Marine Corps, and. Man. gets gets involved gets involved in arguably the greatest criminal conspiracy this country's ever known that's very true and because this is november which is considered uh, you know a, a month of excess right like the, this is when the holiday season starts kicking in and you know you go have your thanksgiving dinner and you eat a lot of food and you do this and you do that um we are we are going to have a bit more podcast time for you this month. And guess what? Our podcast is calorie free. No guilt. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's right. 
Mm-hmm. So we cannot wait to talk to you guys again next week. We appreciate y'all for listening to us. We hope that you've learned a few things in this episode. And as always, be safe, be kind. Remember that we're all human beings and do not park next to vans. And if you are talking to a member of law enforcement, whether it be municipal, state, or federal, in an official capacity, and you are not the victim or the witness to a crime, be sure to lawyer up. And also remember, if it's dark, it's dangerous, and or you feel unsafe, don't be there in the first place. Be your own attorney in public. Negotiate your best outcome the way a lawyer would before you even need a lawyer. So that was a lot of back and forth for for, for a family, though. I mean, you're picking up roots and you're or picking up stakes and you're moving your family every few years. It creates uh, instability, you know, changing schools. Yes. All, all that stuff. Uh, of course, it, this obviously contributes to the kind of the kind of adult life he wound up having, but it doesn't excuse one bit of it. No, and there's a lot of there's a lot of people who have moved around a lot as children, and you know traveled a lot as an adult and had uh, you know a lot of things going on, and they turned out okay. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So in so when they went back to Fort Fort Worth, Lee did re-enroll in the tenth grade at Arlington Heights High School in Fort Worth. But then a few weeks later, he quit school again at the age of 17, and this is when he joined the Marine Corps, and he never earned a high school diploma. I guess it was a time in the Marine Corps where you could do that. Now, at the point of him enrolling in the, or I'm sorry, enlisting in the Marine Corps, he had resided at 22, 22 different homes and had attended 12 schools. That is quite a bit of movement it quite is. a bit of instability that is extremely unusual and he enlisted on october the 24th 1956 just a week after his 17th birthday because of his age his older brother robert jr was required to sign his as his legal guardian oswald also named his mother and his half brother as beneficiaries now, Lee, Lee's older brother had also been in the Marine Corps, and Lee idolized his older brother, and he wanted to follow in his footsteps as well. Ah, okay. Okay. I, that, okay, that makes sense, too. He was looking to his older brother as a father figure yes, he as was. well. So, now, John, who was Lee's half-brother, testified to the Warren Commission that that Lee's enlistment was motivated by wanting to get out from under the yoke of oppression of our, of our, of his mother. So Marguerite was very overbearing. That's something else that was a bit of an issue for Lee is that his mother just wouldn't leave him alone. That, uh, that does happen to some young men who, 
uh, don't have a father figure. The mother tries to compensate and becomes overbearing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And very controlling. Right. Now, his primary training, as you mentioned earlier, was radar operation, and this required a security clearance. A May 1967 document stated that he was granted final clearance to handle classified matter up to and including confidential after careful check of local records had disclosed no derogatory data. Yes, that's important to remember two things about a security clearance. One, it only pertains to your, quote, shop, where, where, right. where you work. It, your security clearance is not valid outside your place of work within your military unit, okay? The other thing to remember about a security clearance is, in essence, it is a leash. It means the government knows a lot about you. The government learns about who you've associated with, some very specific information about you so that if information leaks from where you work and you're not available, they, could, they know where to start searching for you because they, they know that you have access to this information. Also, it was, it was a lot easier to disappear in the 1950s than it is now. Yes. So when you have a security clearance, yes, the government has to know Every, more about everything. You, uh, everything they can about you so that they'll, they can look for you if you, have, if you are believed to have compromised uh, any information. At Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi, Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald finished seventh in a class of 30 in the aircraft control and warning operator course, which included instruction in aircraft surveillance and the use of radar. So he's very smart. Seventh, seventh out of the 30 is pretty good. You see your top 10 of the class. Yeah, and, and that falls in line with his previous interest in Civil Air Patrol was in Civil Air Patrol. You learn about aerospace science and you know, the Air Force, Air Force planes, and, you know, civilian planes, stuff like that. Yes. And he was given the military occupational speciality of aviation electronics operator. Which was, uh, it's funny, I still remember the uh, the classification code occupational field 7200. Ah, uh, that was that yours? Originally, yeah. yeah okay. Just, just, just like him, yeah. On July the 9th, he reported to the Marine Corps Air Station El Toro in California, and there he met fellow Marine Kerry Thornley, who co-created the uh, uh, Discordianism philosophy. So, Thornley wrote in the 1962 fictional book, The Idle Warriors, he based the, the main character on Lee Harvey Oswald. This was the only book written about Lee Harvey Oswald before the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, this is intriguing as apparently in the Marine Corps, he kind of uh, stood out enough to have a book written about him. And to be noticed by someone who may have uh, inadvertently influenced him. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Now, like all Marines, Lee Harvey Oswald was trained and tested in shooting. In December of 1956, he scored 212 
which was slightly above the requirements for the designation of sharpshooter. Then in May of 19... Uh, I shot 215. Oh, you were better than So I still shot a higher score than he did, yeah. Okay. But in May of 1959, he scored 191, which reduced his rating to marksman. Ah! Yeah. Ah! So he uh, actually got worse. So it was both. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, the marksman badge, uh, mark, rifle badge in the Marine Corps, it's supposed to resemble a shooting target with the circles in it. Oh. But because it has circles in it, it's it's received the derogatory, and it's the minimum qualification, it received the derogatory reference of uh, toilet bowl. Ah. Okay, well, th- thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Whereas sharpshooter is a German cross with the uh, Marine Corps anchor globe and eagle insignia in the middle of it. It's very pretty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Lee Harvey Oswald was court-martialed after he accidentally shot himself in the elbow with an unauthorized 22 caliber handgun. He was court-martialed a second time for fighting with a sergeant who he thought was responsible for his punishment in the shooting matter. He was demoted from private first class to just private, and he was briefly imprisoned. And he was later punished for a third incident. While he was on sentry duty in the Philippines, he inexplicably fired his rifle into the jungle. Did you know all that about him? Uh, Actually, I didn't know all that about him, but I'm not terribly surprised that he couldn't get through his Marine Corps career. Without some sort of trouble? Without... uh, non-judicial punishment and even judicial punishment i mean when you're tried by court-martial that's the official the official phrase is is tried by court-martial although the common terminology is just is court-martialed okay right you know if you're not it's a military trial and chances are your your judge is going to hold the rank of uh either a colonel or a general Okay, uh, so it, it's a big deal. It, it's a criminal trial. It's a felony criminal trial that right. takes place in this case in the Marine Corps or in military. So, uh, and some of that stuff, like like fighting with his NCO. Well, he was kind of if it was handled by court martial, that that's pretty unlucky. Yeah. Uh, normally, that would be handled uh, non judicial uh, punishment, uh, Article Fifteen. Ordinarily, which is a misdemeanor proceeding in the military, of course. So apparently, he couldn't he couldn't stay out of trouble even in the Marine Corps. You know, those are all bad signs, right there. Uh, you know, I've never <laughs> I've never even been threatened with a court martial. Right. And, and the article that's a story for another time. The Article Fifteen hearing I was subjected to was a prank by the drill instructors in boot camp because when I was accused of doing what ordinarily not be handled by uh, Article 15, you know. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll save that story for another episode. Yeah. Okay. So slightly built, or uh, Lee Harvey Oswald had a slight build, and he was nicknamed Ozzy Rabbit after a cartoon character. He was also called Oswaldakovich because he espoused pro-Soviet sentiments. Yeah, they, that that's that's another that's another spot where I kind of disagreed with him there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 
And you know, come the thing when I'm willing to bet that his fellow cadets in Civil Air Patrol, uh, if he'd even said anything about that, probably didn't really care much for it. Well, yes, except that it almost came in handy for him because while he was in the Marines, he taught himself rudimentary Russian. Then on February the 25th of 1959, he was invited to take a Marine proficiency exam in written and spoken Russian. His level at the time was rated poor in understanding spoken Russian, but he was proficient in reading and writing Russian. So it was possible he was being considered for intelligence. Possibly so, yeah. Yes, yeah, so he already had a security clearance and he was studying Russian. And that would be like when I was in the Marine Corps, I remember it was encouraged. Right. It was encouraged lightly. Anyone who wanted to learn Russian to learn it, mm-hmm. you know, under the the basis of, of knowing your enemy. And now what I did do was I did study Russian weapons and planes, equipment, you know, their, their, their tanks, you know, learned everything I could, I could learn about that stuff. Okay. But oh. that's under the con- the pretext of, well, of, of hey, knowing your enemy, you know. Considering what's been going on in, in, in Ukraine lately, we're all getting kind of an education in Soviet-era Russian tanks and weaponry, aren't we? Yes, an education in some of the modern stuff. And, and because they're having to throw in everything but the kitchen sink, the yes. Russians, that is, uh, some of the, the older stuff that I was more familiar with but is pretty obsolete. Yes, by today's standards. But they're still using it. But anyway, um, <clears throat> on September the 11th of 1959, he received a hardship discharge from active service claiming his mother needed care. And he was placed in the United States Marine Corps Reserve. Well, I would place it under the category of of uh, wham, 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 my little bleepity, bleepity, bleepity hurts. Okay. <laughs> You know, there was, I don't want to say what was, what drill instructors and, and later on corporals and sergeants and staff sergeants would, would say, okay, right. on, on this program. Uh, but it sounds, another way to put it is, uh, okay, uh, yeah, Oswald, I hear excuses. Yeah. And all this, and he was only 20 years old. So if he enlisted in the Marine Corps when he was 17, it was 20. This isn't even a full four years yet. No, no. Between that and all the trouble he got into, he, he in reality, he didn't last. So we're and gonna, he doesn't have, a, and he doesn't really have an honorable discharge, does he? We will get there after this break. <laughs> 